Kia ora from Victoria University of Wellington. Our podcast gives you the chance to catch up with our academics and guest speakers who lead thinking on the big questions facing society. Victoria University of Wellington. Capital thinking, globally minded. Thank you all for coming. I'm Dr Jamie Stewart and I'm going to be talking in the first half of this lecture and we have um, Professor Green who's going to be speaking the second half. Uh, my role here, and in, again welcome to the Spotlight Lectures and um, thank you very much for coming along on this very cold day and making it here, nice little warm room of all of us to learn about something that's not the nicest of topics to talk about on a day like this, but hopefully you'll get something out of it and we can have a discussion at the end. So my role at Victoria University is as a research fellow. I work in the School of Psychology and um, I'm, I also work as a consultant at a place called Infa Consulting where I consult on things like diversity and wellbeing in the workplace. My background is in positive youth development. So you may ask, how do you go from positive youth development to talking about cyber bullies and cyber victims? But these are actually really important and intertwined issues, one of which is to understand how young people and actually how all people do well. You have to understand the sorts of risks that people face as well. So I'm interested in resilience and how we can come to a place of resilience even facing negative issues like interpersonal aggression, of which bullying is a part of. So one of the things that I do specifically is look at the influence of things like aggression, conflict resolution across the life course. So while I look at things like bullying in adolescence, and that's a big part of the research that I do, what I'm interested in is what leads young people to get to this place, first and foremost, and that's what I'll be talking about today. And where might that lead people after they leave places, contexts like school? So what happens in the workplace and what happens maybe in intimate partnerships or in parenting after a person has left school? So I've titled my talk today, Who are Cyber Bullies and Who are Cyber Victims? Uh, because I think this is something, talk about cyberbullying very broadly uh, without actually knowing what it means in details and who these people are. So I'm going to take a little bit of a, a different tack on this and think about it from a personality point of view. Maybe I'm not clicking through. Click through that way. Okay. So. I'm assuming we all have a basic understanding of what bullying is and that's why we're here in this room because we're interested. But in order to understand if all forms of bullying are made equal, we need to first look at some basic definitions. So when I talk about traditional bullying, I'm going to talk about it in little quotation marks because what traditional bullying means is we saw it before it become media became mediated by technology, uh, forms of aggressive behaviour they have a few characteristics. And some of those characteristics are that it's intentionally harmful, that it's persistent or systematic, and that it involves some sort of a power imbalance. And this is a really important concept, power imbalance and bullying, um, because what it means is that there's some sort of emotional or physical uh, weakness and strength that's conceptualized in the bullying behavior. 
And there are a variety of different types of traditional bullying. It's not just one thing. Oftentimes when we think about bullying, we think about physical attacks. But physical bullying is one component and often really not the most prevalent component of bullying. There's also verbal bullying, which we know happens a whole lot more, and relational bullying, which is bullying that happens within a social relationship that could be something like exclusion, leaving people out, rumour spreading, a whole variety of different behaviours that are about the social relationship. And these things are what we normally consider to be bullying. So if we try and think about what it might look like from a cyberbullying point of view, what's the difference? Is there a difference? Well, firstly, some of those things are exactly the same. The intentionality is the same. In all types of bullying, there has to be some intention to harm another person. The persistence is the same, the power imbalance is the same, although it is enacted in different ways. And one of the ways that it's enacted differently is in the tangible, I'll put that in quotation marks as well, or the physical aspect of bullying, which are those things that we often hear on the news and stories about bullying, about people getting beaten up, that we think about the pain of bullying, the physical pain of bullying. It's not the same in cyberbullying because of the mediation by technology. So the other thing that we have to know is that these two, what we would like to think of distinct types of aggressive behaviour, they co-occur in quite an incredible way. That is, traditional bullying doesn't sit on its own as a distinct form of aggression, it happens alongside cyberbullying. And I'll get to some stats about that more in a little bit. So even though cyberbullying is technologically mediated, it still has this tangible element to it. Uh, and there are things about cyberbullying that we're actually starting to find out that are more harmful than traditional types of bullying as well. This is a little bit unexpected because you'd think that getting beaten up would actually be more painful. We know now that it's not. Some of the things that are unique about cyberbullying, which make it very difficult to take action against, are its pervasiveness. The fact that there's a lack of emotional feedback from people within the environment is quite devoid of emotion being mediated by technology. There is a large or a potentially large audience that is pretty much everyone on the internet could potentially be privy to the fact that you are being bullied. There's an anonymity to this type of behaviour, which, as I said before, even though it intersects with traditional bullying, there's a possibility for being anonymous if the bully chooses to be anonymous. There's a lack of consequences. And I, I, I don't say this lightly because the law is changing, but there is more of a lack of consequences for cyberbullying than there are for other types of bullying. There's a lack of knowledge by others, and particularly for young people, there's a lack of knowledge by adults because they don't understand the technology as well and because it is changing all the time. So this leads to two components of cyberbullying which are really important to understand and to know why this is different, but also the same. <laughs> And that is exposure, the victim being exposed potentially on a very broad scale in terms of it being public, and that is being watched by others. And the other one is alienation, and that's being isolated. 
So you're potentially watched by many people, but you're also potentially very isolated. These are quite different things. And there are loads of different types of cyberbullying, which I'm not going to get into because even I lose track of the sorts of things that are going on. And we're getting into an age in which we understand more and more about these types of behaviours. But it's happening on young people's and older people's personal cell phones in which they begin to form their own identity around. This is people's connections to the world. It's pervading people's personal emails, text messaging, also hacking of people's social media. And we're getting into other things now like cyber stalking and cyber harassment, which are issues that we don't really understand because we still don't understand cyberbullying very well. But the question really is, how prevalent is it, right? How much is it happening? Before I go into the next slide, which is some of the research that I've been undertaking with some students up in psychology, is that we, it's pretty darn prevalent. Like traditional bullying in New Zealand, of which is one of the highest prevalences in the developed world of bullying, so is cyberbullying. Across the world, between 5 and 50% of all young people experience this as either a victim, or a bully, and that's not including the people who are bystanders or who hear about this through their friends. In New Zealand, the research that we found with 748 young people from across New Zealand schools looks like this, and these are very simplified categories of the sorts of behaviours, that is, people who aren't involved and have never been involved in cyberbullying, 29%. People who are cyber victims, those who are only ever victimised, are 19%. People who only ever bully, 12%. And the largest group, unexpected, are 39%. And these are young people who both bully others online as well as are victimised online. So there's something very interesting about this experience of um, social interactions that are based on revenge. <laughs> and what happens to people in terms of the, the cycle that they go through and the way that they experience what is okay or not within this technologically mediated environment. Another thing that we, that's found from the research, not from this particular piece of research, is that most young people, most teenagers, that is 75% of them know their bully online. This is maybe a little bit different from conventional wisdom, which has said it's possible, it's very possible to be anonymous. That doesn't mean that all are. Around about 40% of all young people tell another young person what's going on. 60% never tell an adult. That is, their parents, their teachers, anyone else. And around about 30%, no, these figures don't add up, around about 30% don't tell anyone, and these are because they're different types of behaviours. There are some really interesting things about this which take us into the personality space, and that is how are cyber bullies different from traditional bullies, and why does it look like more kids are bullying online than they are in person? It's because cyber bullies tend to, like normal bullies, have the need for power in social relationships, but they're less dominant. So bullies in and of themselves tend to be more dominant in social relationships, and so those who are dominant tend to act out on their feelings. 
but cyberbullies act out on their feelings regardless of whether they're dominant or not. They probably won't even do it if they're in person. So it gives technology gives a forum for which um, potentially more negative behaviours can be enacted that would not happen in other places. And this is really important to understand. The other important component is that what makes bullies different from victims, and I'm going to be talking on a very generalised level here. The thing that we know about bullies that makes them different from victims is this internalising to externalising continuum. And let me explain that in more detail. Internalising is a, a way in which somebody might approach relationships which predicts being a victim, but it's also an outcome of being a victim of bullying. So, for instance, we know that young people who are shy, that young people who have low self-esteem, who feel isolated, tend to get victimised. And these exacerbate those feelings and continue to construct social relationships for those young people. So you start off as being shy and withdrawn, and you become more so in this experience because you're targeted. The other side of this is externalising, which is young people who do not necessarily have low self-esteem. So bullies don't necessarily have low self-esteem. They tend to be popular, but not necessarily liked by their peer group. They're popular, but maybe in a feared way. And these young people tend to engage in more risky and impulsive behaviours. So they start out as young people who act out, and then they bully, and then they continue to act out. And these behaviours from both sides get progressively worse over time. So those who internalise tend to lead to depression and anxiety. Those who externalise tend to lead to things like criminal behaviour, risky motor vehicle use and sexual behaviours. So these are, these are personality profiles. That doesn't mean they're fated to be that way. But one thing that we know is particularly important for bullies, and this sounds very dramatic, the dark triad, but these are, this is going to sound even more dramatic, aversive personality characteristics that are a constellation of behaviours which increase the likelihood that somebody will be a cyber bully. So this is the up-and-coming research that we've done. Let me just talk you a little bit through this and what it actually means. Machiavellianism is the desire to manipulate people to achieve your goals, to get somewhere. It's very goal-oriented. Narcissism is an inflated sense of self. And psychopathy is a disregard for other people's feelings, impulsiveness, and thrill-seeking. And so all of these things put together lead to somebody who has lack of self-control, very low levels of sensitivity, low levels of empathy and emotional intelligence. And so we know that these things relate to cyberbullying behaviours. But how exactly did they relate to cyberbullying behaviours? Well, narcissists really like to restore face. When that, the ego is injured, they will do things to reduce that shame and things that may hurt other people. People who are Machiavellian have something to gain out of this, and we know that that power position in bullying is all about goals. And those with high levels of psychopathy don't think about how their actions affect other people. So put together, this is, this is a dark triad, it's like a, 
it's a black hole of potential um, personality issues that can lead to really damaging behaviours. So what do you do to stop these is the question. If you're this way already, are you ever going to stop being this way? And the answer to that is, well, this is an applied psychologist, am I really going to say that there's nothing that can be done? A child may exhibit these behaviours when they're young. An adult may exhibit these behaviours when they are going into retirement. There is possibilities throughout somebody's life to engage in aversive styles of interpersonal relationships. That does not mean that we are fated to exist in that sphere always. So what we know is that the ability to perceive others' emotions, the ability to perceive our own emotions, to manage those emotions, and to be able to recognise, express and regulate the way that we feel can interrupt the cycle from negative personality to bullying behaviours, whether they be cyberbullying or traditional types of bullying. And what, what has been found is that interruptions to this or interventions regarding emotional intelligence and empathy training have really positive impacts, particularly for individuals with psychopathic tendencies. So this cognitive, cognitive component of bullying, which is kind of an inability to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, can be trained. It is a skill that we learn. So for some people, it's a skill that comes very easily and sometimes very painfully. And for other people, it's a skill that's very difficult that can be learned. So the idea of training for emotional intelligence as a way of disrupting bullying is a very powerful idea that takes us out of the realm of what do we do about kids who are acting in negative ways or what do we do about kids who are shy and withdrawn to a place where we can think about how can we encourage positive relationships for all young people and how do we encourage positive relationships later on in the life course as well. So emotional intelligence also has the impact of fostering resilience taking us all the way back full circle. The idea about fostering resilience in young people means that even if you're put in a situation that is a difficult situation, that you find it hard to manage, if you're resilient, then you're able to overcome that. So not only is it an intervention, it is a prevention. Thank you. Tanakoto, 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 Katoa. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see, as Jamie said, so many people venturing out in the rather rubbish weather. Now, I'd like you to raise your hand if you have never been bullied, never been bullied by another person, sorry, if you've never bullied another person or if you've never witnessed bullying at any time in your life. Okay, well, one lucky person. <laughs> um, Bullying is a topic that has affected most of you in one way or another. Let's consider cyberbullying. Any hands go up? Possibly. Possibly. Perhaps cyberbullying hasn't touched your lives yet. However, regardless of whether we are talking about traditional bullying or cyberbullying, the underlying causes are the same. 
So the three points I'd like to make today are that cyberbullying is a form of social manipulation which is harmful and has its beginnings in early childhood. It is a community issue that needs a community response. And we need to understand and harness the power of the peer group in order to prevent cyberbullying. As you'd be aware from what Jamie was talking about, there are different types of bullying. And those associated with cyberbullying are most likely to be relational in nature, which kind of makes sense. So as Jamie pointed out, relational bullying includes the manipulation of social groups, undermining an individual's reputation, the spreading of rumours or personal information, and purposely excluding an individual from a gathering or event. Now, interestingly, this type of bullying is often considered to be less harmful than other types of bullying by some adults. But research con conducted in the fields of social and cognitive psychology tell a very different story. For example, when groups of young adults were purposely excluded for just five minutes from an online game as part of a psychological experiment, there was a significant drop in their ratings of self-esteem. But there were also physiological changes with brain scans showing an overlap between physical and social pain. Technology is the perfect platform for the perpetuation of relational bullying or social manipulation. So where does it all start? Sadly, early childhood. We know that we are at our most aggressive during our preschool years because three and four year olds are still working out that it is not okay to hit each other to get what they want. So at this young age, the bullying behaviors are often referred to as bully-like. A common form of bully-like behavior seen in early childhood is social exclusion such as when a toddler is told by their peer, you can't come to my birthday party. Now in these early years, this comment may seem harmless to adults, but for a three-year-old, birthday parties are the biggest and most important event on their social calendar. So yeah, it hurts. Now I'm not suggesting that these comments are said to intentionally harm others, but as our styles of interaction are just being formed in these preschool years, it is perhaps not surprising that some children will try out different ways of communicating in order to improve their social standing. Oftentimes, children who engage in this type of relational bully-like behavior are very socially skilled. If left unchecked, by the time these children have reached pre-adolescence, some are quite adept at social manipulation. Which brings me to the second point I'd like to make this afternoon. Given the complexity of the issue, bullying has been recognized as a socio-ecological phenomenon and an issue that is firmly embedded in the community. All these systems have a part to play in the development and perpetuation of bullying behavior, including cyberbullying. Now, the original uh, model here doesn't include the aspects of technology, but I'd like to suggest that an additional layer of influence in the form of technology also needs to be considered because it literally permeates every aspect of our lives. It's in our homes, our relationships, our workplace and schools, and for many individuals, their phone has become an extension of themselves. 
Now add to this a young person's rapidly evolving techno subsystem where adults are not invited, uh, not included, and we have a very complex issue. So to consider some of these systems of influence in more detail. For example, the way a family responds to incidents of cyberbullying can have a significant impact on the outcome. Although, not surprisingly, most parents are extremely distressed when they find out their child has been cyberbullied. Our research has shown that parents are often unsure about what to do, and some suggest potentially harmful and ineffective strategies, such as retaliation or just telling their child to ignore it. Others we found choose to either play down the incident or, in some cases, blame the victim. Your child kind of deserves it because nobody likes them. They were some of the comments that we, that we got in our research. Teachers' attitudes and the school climate can also have a significant impact on the development and perpetuation of cyberbullying. Our research has shown that with cyberbullying, there was considerable uncertainty around who is responsible for addressing it, particularly when it occurs outside of school hours. Although parents think schools should do more, if we recognise that we're all responsible, then we could look towards prevention. Now, within the school context, we know that the vast majority of individuals involved in cyberbullying are also involved in traditional bullying, as Jamie was pointing out. So we're talking about the same group of peers. Which brings me to the third point I want to make today. We need to have a better understanding of the importance and power of peer relationships if we want to prevent cyberbullying. Professor Samvali from Finland made the astute observation that bullying is not just about the victim and the bully. There are a lot of bystanders. Some of these peers encourage the bully by laughing and clapping, and others just watch. The important point is that bullies only thrive when there is an audience, which clearly demonstrates the potential power of the peer group. Now, I'd like to suggest that one of the reasons we are often bystanders is because we don't know how to defend others. We've never been taught when to intervention is required and what we should do. This was not on our list of how to behave as we were growing up. If we don't know what to do as adults, how can we possibly expect children to know what to do? So, how can we prevent cyberbullying? Well, we could start by implementing an award-winning evidence-based anti-bullying program into all New Zealand schools that teaches children how to defend others both off and online. The program is here in New Zealand and it is called Kiva. Kiva is specifically designed to address all forms of bullying, including cyberbullying. It is not a broad-based program that looks at problem behaviour in general. Let me give you an analogy. Let's just say the All Blacks were having problems with their scrums, lineouts, or passing. Hopefully not. Um, now, would they be provided with a general program that focuses on keeping rugby players fit? Although this is an important part of being a top athlete. No, they would be provided with a program that targeted 
scrums, lineouts, or passing. So let's return to our specifically designed anti-bullying program. Okay, Kiva involves everyone within the broader school community, including parents and the auxiliary staff. It includes a step-by-step -step guide for schools on how to address incidents as they come up and provides a detailed set of lessons designed to prevent bullying from happening in the first place. Kiva doesn't just focus on the victim and the perpetrator, but treats bullying as a systemic problem. It focuses on trying to change the culture of the school by recognising bullying and cyberbullying as a group phenomenon. Kiva focuses on changing the behaviour of the bystanders. It teaches them when to stand up for others and how to stand up for others. And it provides them with practice in becoming a defender via online modules. There are currently about 14 schools in New Zealand who have begun to implement Kiva or who are, about, who are being trained to do so. So, as a community member, what can you do? Well, depending on your role, you could contribute my con by supporting your local school and encouraging them to implement Kiva. Another way we can prevent cyberbullying is by talking to our children about peer relationships. Think for a moment about your own development. How much time was devoted by your parents or your caregivers helping you to learn to read, swim, kick a ball, or ride a bike? Fast forward to today, those of you who are parents, and think about your own parenting. Count up the hours, possibly, and the dollars that you have spent teaching your child some of these physical and cognitive skills. What's missing? What about their social and emotional development? Well, you might say, we don't need to teach those skills, they just happen, right? It's natural. Well, clearly not, otherwise we wouldn't be one of the, have one of the worst bullying rates in the world, but be at the top of the world in rugby and other numerous sporting events. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that we don't teach children to swim or play a sport. But most importantly, we need to shift our focus and spend time teaching them how to socialise in a way that does not cause harm to others. Our generation, and I'm just speaking for you know, the people that are aware of the 80s, um, <laughs> created an incredibly powerful platform called the internet. And to me, it's though we've just handed the keys to the Maserati over to our unlicensed teenagers. We hope that they will be socially aware and keep themselves safe online, with perhaps little regard for how they might be treating others online. I firmly believe that it's through our daily micro-interactions that we can start to make a difference. We need to spend time each week talking about positive peer relationships, how to build them, how to maintain them, and how to look out for and defend others. To stay up to date with the latest cutting-edge research from Victoria University of Wellington, subscribe now through iTunes, Stitcher or your favourite podcast provider. Thanks to Te Koki New Zealand School of Music alumni Kenyon Shanky and Stephen Patton for the use of their music. Victoria University of Wellington. Capital thinking, globally minded.